Yesterday was the 71st anniversary of what? D-Day. The 71st anniversary of D-Day, and, and we're a milita- I'm in a military family. My son jumps out of perfectly good airplanes, and then he's surrounded by bad people. He obviously takes after his mother, uh, not me. But we're always, these are always poignant days for us as a military family. And something came to mind over the last uh, few days for me. One of my favorite statements from a military hero. And this is way back uh, just after the end of World War II. One of the most famous men in America, General Omar Bradley, was asked to come and speak at an Armistice Day luncheon in Boston and give some perspective on these two great international tragedies, World War I and World War II. How do we get these into perspective? And this is part of what he said. We have too many men of war and of science and too few men of God. We have grasped the mystery of the Adam and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Man is stumbling blindly through a spiritual darkness while toying with the precarious secrets of life and death. The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom. Power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. As we prepare to come to the table this morning, we're going to look for a few minutes at the Sermon on the Mount. And I think we can go so far as to say that it's the greatest sermon ever preached. It's certainly the greatest preacher ever, Jesus. And it's all there in Matthew 5 through 7. We're just going to look at four verses this morning, but it's all there. Structure, truth, doctrine, illustration, stories, encouragement, challenges. And right at the very heart of this sermon is these four verses. The heart of the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 17 through 20. In fact, it's really the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the Bible. It's the Bible's message. It's the gospel message. You ever want to know where to go in the Bible to get the core message of the Bible, the core message of the gospel, the core message of the good news of Jesus Christ? Right here, these four verses. These four verses, it's all here. Before we read, let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for those who have served. We're thankful for those who served in VBS this whole week. We're thankful for others who serve in this church and in this community. We're we're mindful of people down through the time that have served in the military. We, We remember them and their families and 
their sacrifice. But more importantly than all of these things, we remember the servant of servants, the ultimate sacrifice, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we know and we count on and we believe that this is His Word. So we pray that as we read it, you would open the eyes of our hearts to behold wonderful things in His Word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew five seventeen through 20. This is Jesus. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes And Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we could spend days, hours, weeks, months. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. We're going to, and we're having the Lord's table this morning. We're going to get right to the heart of it. What in the world is Jesus saying? He's saying this. First, it's the core of the gospel. It's the core of the good news. He's saying there's a standard. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the standard. Here's what I want you to do. That's the first thing he's saying. The second thing he's saying, you'll never do it. You can't. Sin, the reality of sin. There's a standard that God puts before us. Then there's this problem of sin. Here's what I want you to do. You'll never be able to do it. And then finally, there is a Savior. There's a Savior who says, in and through me, you now can have, will have hope. Eternal life. And in and through me, everything from your heart out will change. Standard, sin, Savior. Verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what, what is Jesus telling us here? <laughs> this is not an easy verse. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What in the world is he talking about? Well, later in the sermon, like any good communicator, he's the best communicator, he fleshes this out and gives some very specific examples. 
illustrations. He says in verse 21, You've heard it said, To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Verse 27, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is one of these passages. People look at this and say, how do we live up to this? Verse 38, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. One more, if we can take it. Uh, Verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. What's going on here? We'll get right to it. You know what Jesus wants? You know what He's aiming at? He wants your heart. And He's going right for it. He's bypassing everything else and going right after your heart. Because that's where your deepest affections are. That's where your greatest desires are. That's where your deepest, greatest longings are. And He wants that. And He's going to contrast all the way through this sermon. He's going to contrast what's going on in your heart with the way the Pharisees operate with the way the Pharisees operate. He's going right for your heart. He's going right for my heart. Look, sometimes, you ever heard anybody say, well, he's got a lot of head knowledge, he just doesn't live it. He knows a lot, and he knows it accurately, he just doesn't live it. That's not usually the way the Bible talks. That's not usually the way the Bible frames our issue. What the Bible talks about over and over and over. And this is, you know, when you preach a sermon like this, you get smaller and smaller as you preach it. Don't look at me for an example. Let's look at Jesus together. The Bible says over and over and talks over and over about hypocrisy. About the outside being very, very, very different from the inside. And that's what Jesus is after here. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. In 23:27 he says, "Woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs. You outwardly appear beautiful, but within you're full of dead man's bones." Jesus is going right for the heart. For example, on a number of occasions in this sermon, he looks back at the 10 commandments. 
and says, again, you've heard it said. You've heard it said you shouldn't murder, for example, in verse 21. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He who insults his brother is liable to the council. Uh, There's a couple of Greek words here behind, behind angry and insults. And what they're getting at is this. Have you ever said this? What a fool. Have you ever said that about anybody in your heart? What a fool. You you could even go so far as to to interpret one of these Greek words as this. You nothing. It's hard to translate, actually. You non-entity. I wish you didn't exist. Have you ever said that about anybody in your heart? That's what Jesus is after here. You nothing, you fool, go away. Jesus is getting at a heart disposition, a heart attitude. And he's he's pretty merciless here. He He knows us. He knows how we are. And he's going right for the heart. Cindy had a very humbling experience years and years ago when Harrison was little. She was driving along the road and out comes a car, you know, out comes the car and Harrison is sitting back and he's, he's very small at the time and he's sitting in his car seat and Cindy has a slam on the brakes and uh, Harrison says, never forget it, oh look mom, another idiot on the road. I've said that with my lips, the idiot, fool. It comes from somewhere. Jesus is, again, he's merciless here. He's saying, if if you've ever been really, really angry with someone like that, you've committed murder in your heart. In fact, it's so serious, he goes on later in the sermon to say, if you have this attitude, don't do it today, but if you have this attitude towards somebody, get up and leave the worship service and make it right. Jesus, Jesus is saying in 5, 23 and 24, if you have this attitude, leave the worship. This is Jesus telling somebody to leave a worship service. That's got to be serious. He knows how we are. 1 John 3.15 summarizes this beautiful. It really leaves no doubt about this. 1 John 3.15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Jesus, what Jesus wants to do here, he wants to get us to recognize not only the standards, but the, the second point, he wants us to recognize. He wants to admit. He wants us to see that the problem is not your wife or your husband or your co-workers or the kids. Your problem is you.
Your problem is your sin. Point two. You know what the best, thinking a lot about this, you know what the best word is for sin? The best word for sin, anticlimactic, the best word for sin is sin. It's not a trendy word. It's not a popular word. It's not a trendy, trendy concept. But you know what we, we all do? We, rec- we see it quickly and very easily, don't we, in somebody else. It's, sin is, we, we know it when we see it, and it's very easy to see in other people. The people that are around us. We see pride, and we see arrogance, and we see selfishness. Jesus wants you to see it in you. Jesus wants you to see your own sin. In fact, Matthew, the very first thing in the book of Matthew that Matthew says that Jesus has come to do, the very first thing he says that Jesus has come to do, it's in chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because... He will save his people from their sins. You know what the essence of sin is? Sin, the essence, the very essence of sin, fundamentally and basically, is me, you, us, putting ourselves where only God deserves to be. It's when we put ourselves where only God deserves to be. Look at me. I'm in charge. I've got the power. I know stuff. I don't need anybody else. I'm independent. We could go on and on. That's the essence of sin. That's what sin is is all about. He says, and then he says, therefore, in verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. A few years ago, I think it was 2012, a man named David McCullough Jr. Maybe some of you have heard of David McCullough Sr. Written a lot of popular books. His son is a high school teacher. An English teacher in a high school, been for many years. And he gave a speech that happened to be recorded and and put on... YouTube and it went viral and he had he had no idea that he would get get this kind of attention with this commencement speech. He was asked to do this commencement speech. He put it together the night before and this thing went viral a few years ago and it eventually became a book and the book and not a, again not a very trendy title but the book was called is called you can still get it you're not special. Not very southern, not very trendy, not very cool. But he wasn't saying you're not important or valuable and special. He was trying to get these very bright high school students, they were graduating and moving on, to stop thinking about themselves. And to stop just focusing on themselves. It's sort of the anti-commencement speech, commencement speech, because so often you can do anything. You can be anything you want to be. Listen to what he says. We Americans have come to love accolades. 
We have come to see them as the main point and we're happy to compromise standards or ignore reality or lose our integrity. If we suspect that this will get us to a better spot on the social totem pole. No longer is it how you play the game or, or whether you win or lose or learn or grow. Now it's about what's in this for me. What am I going to get out of this? How is it going to help me? And then he says, consider the bigger picture. Your planet is not the center of the solar system. Your solar system is not the center of its galaxy. Your galaxy is not the center of the universe. And in fact, astrophysicists assure us that the universe has no center. Therefore, you cannot be it. I'm getting smaller and smaller. (laughs) We want to learn from Jesus. We want to follow him. And he's going right for the heart. You could say the jugular of the heart. He knows us. You know what the best ways are to avoid God? Entrust your life with idols of your own making. And focus on your own grievances. Trust your life with idols of your own making and focus day after day after day on your own grievances. Jesus knows us and we have a tendency to put ourselves where only God deserves to be. But you know this, this word that's not so trendy, sin? When we begin to recognize it, when we begin to see it, when we see it in our own hearts and lives, we finally have the accurate diagnosis of what's wrong with us. And here's something that you can do today. Here's something that you can do during communion. You can say, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. See what happens. Be merciful to me, a sinner. You may recognize these words. They're David's. They're ours. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my sin. Wash me thoroughly from my sin. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my sin. My sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then uh, Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. You can pray that whether you're a Christian Or you're not a Christian. Hopefully when you pray that, the Lord is changing your heart and you're becoming converted. Sin. You'll never be able to get there. Well, here's our hope. Our hope is not in the standard, not in the sin. Our hope is in a a Savior. And this is what makes 
Jesus different. This is what makes him fundamentally different. Look, if the essence of sin is us putting ourselves where only God deserves to be, the essence of salvation is God putting himself where only we deserve to be. And there's nobody else like that. That fundamentally at its core essence heart is what makes Jesus different. He comes. He takes our place. How do you fulfill a law? How do you fulfill a law? When you come to the stop sign, how do you fulfill a law? You either obey it perfectly or you go straight through the stop sign and break the law and suffer the penalty. Jesus, what makes him fundamentally different, he comes along and he meets the standard and suffers for the sin in our place. And we all kind of laughed and we all kind of moved around, but we know we're sinners. We know it. We know we need a Savior. And Jesus comes along and perfectly meets the standard, and then suffers the penalty for the sin. Martin Luther has a way of putting things. Here's what Martin Luther says about the standards. O law, trouble me not. You know your place. You're a guide for my behavior, but you are not the Savior and Lord of my heart. You are a guide for my behavior, but you're not the Savior and Lord of my heart. Jesus is. And Jesus never says fools. Good for nothings. And he's the one person who ever lived who could have. What is Jesus' weapon against his enemies? Jesus' weapon against his enemies is the cross. Jesus' weapon against his enemies is the cross. By sheer grace, he gives himself to us when we don't deserve him. By sheer grace, he gives himself to us when we don't deserve him. Okay, we're about to come to the table. The table that pictures this body, this blood, this obedience, this sacrifice. But what do we do this afternoon? <laughs> what do we do tomorrow? Where do we go from? This is all, these are all nice, inspiring thoughts. What do we do with this? Where do we go? Because Jesus, later in this sermon, starts telling us to do stuff. He tells us, Later in the Sermon on the Mount, as he gives more and more examples in, of, in illustrations, he says, he talks about giving. He talks about, he talks about fasting. He talks about praying. But he always goes right to the heart. And a, a, a summary in, a, in a, a very real sense of this sermon and how this sermon, Jesus' sermon, sees the reality of obedience, and you can see this up and down throughout this sermon, there's two ways. It's not you can either choose to obey or you can not obey. There's two different kinds of ways of responding to the Word, to the Bible, to Jesus. One is the Pharisee way, the Pharisee obedience. And the Pharisee obedience says this, God, why are you taking me in this direction? I thought we had a deal. 
God, why are you making this happen in my life? I thought if I did this and I did this and I did this, then you do this. And I thought we had a bargain. thought we had a deal. That's Pharisee obedience. Once you realize you're a sinner, you realize grace is free. You don't negotiate with grace. You don't try to make a deal with grace. Pharisee obedience is not the way starting this afternoon and tomorrow. And I'm going to call the second way that Jesus emphasizes up and down through this sermon. And it's going to sound a little different, but I want to challenge you with it. Grace obedience. Grace. You know what grace obedience is? My life, my heart is so full of your life, your heart, your love. Where do you want me to go? It's not, why are you taking me there? I don't want to go there. I thought we had a deal. It's, it's not where I want to go. It's where you want me to go. Lead me. I'll follow. You see the difference. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to serve you. Show me how. I'll close with this. Reading this several years ago, and I thought, boy, this sounds contemporary. (laughs) Um, uh, One of the early church fathers uh, lived a long time ago in the 4th and 5th centuries. Maybe you've heard of him. His name was Augustine, and he was a pastor in Africa. And it's amazing what the Lord is doing in Africa. You know, Joseph's there now. The Lord is really bringing about a revival now in Africa. But he was a pastor in in Africa. And see if this doesn't sound familiar. He had a couple of very influential groups in his congregation. One group was saying, look, we need to separate. We don't need to be around impure people. We don't need to be around people that don't live up to our standards. We need to pull out. We need to be different. We need to not have anything to do with people who don't live up to our standards. And then there's another group. See if this doesn't sound familiar. The, the, we, we hear this as pastors actually quite a bit. Hey, I live in the real world. You know, I'm glad the church is there when I need it. I'm glad I don't even have much against the church. I'm glad it's there. But, you know, look, I live in the real world. And a lot of the, you know, the Bible, Christianity, Jesus, those are nice thoughts. But that's not the way the real world really operates. And I have to live in the real world. Listen to what he says, and I'll close with this. Oh, men and women, how long will you be heavy-hearted? There's no peace where you're seeking it. You are looking for life in the realm of death. Turn your heart to him. In him is truth, and this truth Tastes sweet. Confess your sin and he'll heal your heart. Confess your sin and he will heal your heart. Stand with him and you will stand firm. Rest in him and you will find peace. He who is your life came down and took your death. He who is your life came down and took your death. He slew your death with his his abundant life and summons you now with the voice 
of loud thunder. Follow me. Follow me. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the the gospel. We thank you for the good news. We thank you that though the, the standards are high, you want us to realize we can't meet them. We can't earn them. We can't live up to them. We're fallen, and we live in a fallen world, and we're sinful people. But we have a Savior who's not like any and every other supposed Savior or teacher or philosopher or leader, but who comes to the place that we deserve to be, punished. And He meets the standard that we can't meet, perfectly serving You, Father, perfectly loving you. And Lord, we pray that as we come to the table, we would think about Jesus. We pray that as we come to the table, we would be mindful and think about our Savior, our Lord, who came such a great distance for us, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in His name.